Hello everyone and welcome to Total Football Debate podcast episode 13 where you are joined by the wonderful trio yet again. Every two weeks we always have a certain someone join us much to Jason's amusement. So this week you have got myself as always Scott, Jace is here and we've got Cookie back once again. Whether it's a becoming a bit of a forced situation or not he's here nonetheless to take it on the chin no he should be very proud he puts the arse in arsenal he, he does very well he should be very proud of it <laughs> uh you did better than i thought to be fair jumping in there jace i thought you'd be in after five seconds but no it was only 10. Um, but yeah, we are here on episode 13 and some could say it's unlucky for some, but we are here to discuss week two of all the Premier League on a weekend where Liverpool show there's a yacht or more to come. Arsenal continue to fire blanks in yet another 2-0 defeat. Spurs take the W from Wolves at Molyneux and Brighton sting the Hornets at the Amex and surprisingly more so. Ollie accuses Southampton of being anything but Saints in a surprising draw at St Mary's. So we've got a lot to discuss as well as the usual middle segment craziness where the Wheel of Fortune is back for a second time. And obviously we're going around Europe to do the one minute summary on this week. Five leagues because Serie A is back. Jace, Cookie, one at a time. How are you both? Hurting. You're hurting, are you, Cook? Hurting. Yeah, well, well, we'll definitely come to that. Well, I mean, it comes across to me with you two. One of you's hurting and the other one's had quite a lot of sleep because, you know, I think, judging by that Palace Brentford... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that anyway at some point. Hang on that, a second. Uh, what, what I would say is... Of a London derby, that's for sure. We thought they'd well, be... for the record, folks, that is... What, what I will say is this, especially for Cookie laughing at that, has he not realised that Palace and Arsenal's have played the same fixtures and yet we're one point better off than them? That is a very fair comment, to be fair. But, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely come to that yeah. one, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, I guess we'll jump straight into it. So, as per usual, we're going to cover, you know, there was only nine games this week because one of them is actually at halftime, which is uh, West Ham won less than nil. So, we are keeping an eye on that as we go along. So, somewhere during the show, we may get interrupted uh, because the game should be finished come the end of the end of this show, that's for sure. So, we'll no doubt maybe touch on that one at the end once we know what's what's been done around that. But we are going to get straight into it and cover in the first half of this show the televised games. So we are starting off at Anfield. Lovely ball for Elliot. On Sadio Mane, there it is. With oh, it's been two coming for 10, nil. What do you take from it? To... I mean, let's face it, it didn't really spew up any surprises, did it? Ashley Barnes had a goal disallowed for offside, which... Could have changed the game had it gone in, but it was fairly plain sailing for Liverpool, really. They went through the motions. It was quite interesting. There was a debate before the game where I think a lot of Liverpool fans were saying that the front three, Mane would be the one they'd drop. He was the one who ended up scoring. So, yeah, they looked fairly solid, to be fair. They they didn't struggle. They went through the motions. Clean sheet, got three points. No real stark surprises or nothing really stand out for me there. It's a tough one, really, because we said this quite a lot last week with 
you know, we didn't learn much from it. But I do think as you're getting to the second fixture and things like that, when you start to see repeats, maybe not so much of a Liverpool, because I don't think you can judge Liverpool on a, on a game against Norwich and then a game against Burnley, to be quite honest. I think this is more focused around Burnley for me. There's, there's a couple of things that you associate with Burnley, and I, I've, always, I've always said that they, they've always been quite well set up in defence in, in previous seasons. And that was the one thing that I think has, has always sort of protected Burnley in a sense. You know, Sean Dyche has been well known to sort of keep them organised and they were always difficult to turn over, especially on home ground. And obviously losing to Brighton would have been a bit of a tough one for them. But I've got to say, the defence from Burnley in this one were was terrible at times. To be beaten in your own area when you've got Tarkovsky and Ben Mee by Diogo Jota, of all people, from a header, there's, there's things that start to sort of signal alarm bells for me. And the second goal was just awful. I guess it kind of mirrors where my table is uh, to put them... 19th I'm not seeing any signs so far that I was being too harsh I don't know no, if you agree I think you're right I think I mean I've got them at 18th and I think the thing is with Sean Dyche much like most of these managers historically that are primed as you know safe pairs of hands and you know safe managers for me it will only get you so far and I think one of the things we don't talk about enough is the fact that the game is changing a lot and it has done a lot in the last three to four seasons and a lot of it is to do with pace and a lot of it is to do with you know high press and being more positive on the ball and stuff and I do feel like slowly but surely these managers are maybe outdated is the wrong word but certainly I think the tactics whilst they probably worked to a point before probably aren't as effective now, especially as, you know, you need a proven goal scorer in there. You need to be able to defend well. And when you look at their defenders versus the other teams in the bottom half there, it's a tough one. They don't score many, but it, again, Burnley season, I must say, isn't going to be defined by a game against Liverpool at Anfield. But what I will say is, and you're absolutely right, the manner of the goals they conceded is very unlike them. But yeah, I do question, which is why I put them in the bottom three initially, how far they can go this year in beating the drop. They were very lucky last season. Yeah. Do you think, just, just while we're on Burnley, because we'll come to Liverpool in a bit, do you think Burnley are the final team in this league that represent the old Bolton, Stoke, West Brom type teams? I think... Going on or is that, or is that being a bit too harsh on them? Because... They do strike me as that Stoke physical team, you know, that used to turn teams over. At, you know, they was always the bogey team. I, I think if you look at the rest of the teams, if you take into account the bottom half of the table, well, let's say mid-table downwards, certainly you look at your, your Villas, your Southamptons, your Palaces, your Wolves, your Newcastles and your Norwiches. I do think certainly teams in the lower half are moving away from that typical 4-5-1, 4-2-3-1 direct solid counter-attack football. You may find they they tailor it and they drop into that depending on the opposition. You know, they're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the likes of 
Chelsea's, United's and City's. But I, I think it would be fair to say, really and truly, if you look at the teams in that bottom half, Burnley are probably one of the last ones where you would say their defined style is target man up top and wingers. And look, not mean to say it doesn't work. There's no disrespect to Burnley because it certainly will work in some games. It's just whether or not they can, you know, they've been doing it now for two or three seasons. Teams know what they're about. Other teams have come up, you know, Brentford's are playing more fluid football. You know, Southampton is still playing a kind of positive style of play. And, you know, let's not forget, the, this style of play doesn't come without risks. You know, it can it can come back to bite you, as a few of the teams know last season. So it's not to say it's a bad thing, but I do think when you look at the evolution of the way football's going and the way the league is, I do think Burnley are probably one of the last ones that are in that kind of mix, as you say, that used to be your likes of, you know, kind of up and at them and, you know, type teams. They're a team that hasn't got a plan B. Like, it's like you alluded to, you know what you're going to get with Burnley. It's going to be physical. They'll lump it up. They can go direct. You know, I just think they need to go down to come back up. As, as Cookie said, although they didn't really have a great go, uh, they only did what they could. You know, Dwight McNeil was promising. Uh, he created a couple of chances for them. If they had, as Jason said, a bit more quality, you might have seen seen them turn one of them in because he looked very lively on the left. He certainly gave Trent a bit of a run in. But to be honest, there wasn't really much more to say. And And what surprised me, just flipping it over to Liverpool, you know, one thing I noticed with Liverpool that they were doing was they were crossing at every chance. And in any other season, I would have thought that would suit Burnley to an absolute T. You know, physical, tall squad, very strong in the air. Always been known to be that kind of, you keep the ball on the ground when you face Burnley. Liverpool were crossing it all the time. And to see that work, I think, is what surprised me because I thought that would have played into Burnley's hands and I think it would have played into Burnley of old's hand. Bearing in mind the Liverpool, I mean, let's be fair, they were whipping balls in and you had Mane, Salah and Yotta. Like, that's there's no Firmino in there. So unless they, they've obviously been doing something that signals that that was going to work, and I just think if Burnley are going to stay up, it's they need to, you know, keep the one last thing that they were very good at, because otherwise, as as we well as I predicted, I, I think they're I think they're gone. But the other big talking point was uh, Harvey Elliott first game for Liverpool. Now they were certainly having a bit of a running segment on the commentary with, you know, endless praise for Harvey Elliott and. He did look quite confident. Um, I don't know whether either of you had any had any takes on that. Is he is he someone that you feel could be a, a massive prospect for Liverpool? Well, they seem to hold him in high regard, don't they? He's been on the periphery. He's been on a loan spell. I think was it at Blackburn last season in the Championship, but his stock is held relatively high. And to be honest, I don't think he looked out of place. I do think he's. Um, He's got a bit about him. He certainly suits that Klopp, you know, press high energy type game. So very confident. I mean, he certainly, for me, did not look out of place at all in that in that lineup. And 
Klopp must hold him in, in high regard because he was sitting alongside Henderson and Cater and you're, you're looking at the bench and you think, well, Thiago was on the bench, you had Firmino on the bench, Curtis Jones was on the bench. So you're sort of sitting there thinking, well, you know, he's he's not just got in the side because a few players have dropped out. He's, he's certainly kept a few players out. And I think it was a perfect game to put him in against, to be honest. And um, he looked he looked very composed on the ball whenever I saw him. He seemed to be linking up very well with Trent and Salah. So I think I think they'll be relatively excited. It would just be interesting to know whether that's his final position. Is I thought I saw him more as the sort of winger type player, but he seemed to slot in quite well as that sort of number eight in the centre midfield. It was almost like he had a bit of a free role because he had Henderson and Cater in there. Everywhere, you know, wasn't it? going to sit in that back four and it was just everywhere the ball was, he just popped up. Not yeah. just obviously on the ball, but even defending as well. He was putting pressure on players. It'd be interesting to see whether Klopp has the same amount of confidence in a game, which, you know, he may have to do a bit more tracking back. But yeah, it, he, he did very well. I mean, that leaves Liverpool in second spot, tied on goal difference with Chelsea. Is it still still difficult to sort of judge Liverpool with the two opening fixtures they had? I mean, we would have all predicted they'd be on six, wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, anything less than that. I think we'd have been talking about a crisis, wouldn't we, to be honest? <laughs> yeah. And Burnley, seven, surprisingly, two losses, and they're not in the bottom three, um, which says a lot. But yeah, two losses... I mean, I, I would say that the Brighton one, one would have hurt more being at Turf Moor and, and not picking up a point or, or a win there. I don't think they would have had any points against Liverpool at Anfield on their quota. But for me, it, it's it's telling signs even two games in where they might be come the end of the season. I do fear for them. I'm not going to lie. They've got a random EFL Cup game coming up. I guess they could use that as a bit of a bit of an idea as to where they are because it's against Newcastle, so you never know. They might they might try and sort of get a bit of confidence back into their side, but then they've got two very interesting games. They've got Leeds and then Everton, and then they've got a six pointer at home to Arsenal. So it's gonna uh, it's gonna be interesting for Burnley that's in the right. next next few. That's all right, anytime in the next few weeks. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm conscious there's not really a lot to say with that one. But one final stat, I don't know if you picked up on it. Well, it was a fact more than a stat, but it was the first time since 1998 that a team fielded 11 players and the shirt numbers were 1 to 11. How about that one? Well, that's quite impressive. That's quite fair now. 23 years, though, to be fair. So, I mean, that's mad, isn't it? But yeah, 1 to 11, Burnley. So at least they'll take that trophy down with them. But anyway, we move on. The next game we go on to, Jace, you'll be thrilled to know, is we do head over to the Amex, where, as I said, Brighton certainly stung Watford. Zuma's won it, and more pays in. Should be two. It is two. And uh, surprisingly, maybe for you both, one, two, six-pointers, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, look, to be fair, last season they were creating the chances, but they couldn't put them away. And this season, it seems like, for now, I mean, it's only two games in, but it does seem like they're taking their chances now and um, they look a little bit more potent up top. They've always played quite positive football, to be fair, and they do, begrudgingly, I'll admit, they do have a, 
you know, a decent team on their day. But um, no, they've gone out and it's two six-pointers, as you say, you could argue, and two that they've, um, you know, come out with with six points. So I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Probably quite important for them as well, given the speculation with Graham Potter in the summer. And then also Basuma, obviously, just under two weeks left, or is it a week left of the window now? And I can't really see him leaving at this stage. So they've done well to keep him. That was important. He obviously had a, a big part in their, the, I think it was the second goal with the press that then forced the mistake and that allowed, you know, them to go on and score. So, but now Brighton put them to the sword and, you know, Watford, Watford, they looked pretty blunt and didn't really, as you say, they looked a bit stung. So food for thought for them off the back of a good result against Villa. But yeah, Brighton, you know, they've kept Graham Potter, they've kept, kept Bazuma and I think providing they do that, I think they've got a, a decent stab, you know, having a consistent season. I'll still say they'll probably finish in around 15th because I just don't think they'll stay as consistent as the likes of maybe Villa and West Ham to finish kind of mid-table. But for now, they've done the job and, um, you know, we'll see how far it gets. Very surprised at Watford, given that Villa result. I mean, I was expecting them to turn up and be a bit more up for it. But, I mean, that could have been 7, 8, 9 by... And, I mean, that was scary how many chances they created in that game. They still need more goals up front. I mean, more pace on the job so far, two and two. But, I mean, the likes of Connolly could have scored a hat-trick in this game. They're creating a lot, Brighton, and they're doing well with it so far. But I think going forward, they're going to need that little bit more, you know, when there's like one or two chances in the game, they're going to have to take it. And I just think they're not quite there. But I was very, very surprised at Watford. Maybe that is coming down to earth for Watford and realise, you know, the Premier League, they're not going to have it their own way all the time. I do think it is, it is a little bit of that. I, I think Watford were very up for it, but you know when you start going away from home, maybe that sort of reality kicks in a bit, and maybe we saw a bit more of the Watford that Jace saw in pre-season. Maybe they didn't come down off their high horse quick enough. Just a bit of a reality check, really. I mean, with Brighton, I mean, I just think they've got enough about them this season where. You might not say they've got world beaters. I mean, Jason already touched on Basuma, and I, I cannot believe someone has not snapped him up this season. Looking at your club, Cookie, for one, I mean, he just stormed that game. He just bossed everything in that midfield and, you know, had a bit more about him going forward as well than I initially thought. I thought he was a bit more of a sort of, you know, sit in, pick the ball up, lay it off. But actually, he's got a bit of a a nice bit of technical ability about him as well. And he was a massive part of all their build-up play, which was so impressive, I thought, to watch at times. They were so slick. And you're absolutely right, you know, they could have scored a few more. I mean, that Connolly chance, I could not believe it did not go in, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I know I messaged you guys, and I know I've had a bit of a laugh about Brighton because you, you both, you know, you laughed a little bit when when I said that I think they'll finish 12th and it might not be so much Brighton that sort of put them in 12th, but I just feel that other than really Wolves, who I put one below them, 
And that's that's up for debate, to be fair, because we'll, we'll come to Wolves a bit later on. I mean, I've got, what, Southampton, Palace, Newcastle, Watford, Norwich, Burnley and Brentford. And at this moment in time, I just cannot see any one of those finishing above Brighton yet. And the two games I've seen so far this season haven't shown me any reason to think I was way out either. But, I mean, I've just looked at their fixtures and you've got Brighton-Everton, Brentford-Brighton, which is going to be, I think, a really interesting game. Brighton-Leicester, Palace-Brighton, Arsenal, then Norwich. So, come mid-October, they've faced, you know, those those six teams. And I'm looking at that and, I, I you know, if they got nine, ten there... You're already looking at Brighton being on 16 points after what, eight games? That's a pretty good, pretty good return. And I mean, Everton at home, you just don't know. I mean, I, I, I would think Everton would have more than enough maybe to get a win there. But I wouldn't still wouldn't be like, ah, that's surprising. It was a one-all draw or something like that. So, you know, I, I do think Brighton have got something We'll see how they get on in the next game against Everton, which is probably one of their first real tests when you start going 10th up. Maybe they'll get a bit of a taste of what it's like to be in the top half. But I certainly think they're one of the best of the bunch at the bottom. Anything else to be said about Watford or Brighton in that game? No, I mean, with Watford again, it'll be about finding consistency. Good result against Villa, come to Brighton and get a bit unstuck. So... It's hard to make any real judgments on the impact of that of their season, but it's interesting, isn't it? When you when we've spoken about it a few times with teams like Watford, how how fragile they look when Plan A doesn't come to to play, right? Yeah, and you know maybe a bit of naivety. But, um... I, th- I think that the, the same the same message applies to a couple of teams out there. You know, with Newcastle for sure, as we said every week, some Maximan's not going to show up and. I think Watford will be hoping that when Saar does show up, they can get, as they did last week, three points, whereas Newcastle haven't shown signs of St Maximan showing up and getting a win. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. But I did mention that I didn't think Villa were, were in a position that was fair to judge them just yet. So maybe Watford, just exercising the side of caution here for them, got a bit of a lucky draw with that Villa team, especially after seeing you know the performance of Villa this week. But then again, you take you take what's in front of you and they, they did well to get the win. I certainly didn't see it, even with Villa having those injuries. So they'll be happy, I think, to get three points out of six, you know, bearing in mind they've just faced Villa and Brighton. So next fixture then, we move on. We go to St Mary's. Someone have a shot. Shea Adams left-footed. Yeah, Where we saw Southampton pick up. You, you mentioned... Points that wouldn't be on their quota. Well, they've just got one against the Man United team that put five past leads. So how do you judge this one? That game really highlighted for me why United under Solskjaer, I think I touched upon this. I agree with where you're going with this, 100%. When we were deciding where they were going to finish, would they finish top third or whatever? And I think I had them in third. And... That's the type of game where, I mean, we had Chelsea second, right? But um, they look like they're going to, you know, be right up there this year and really push City close. But the difference between 
City, Chelsea, and I'll bring Liverpool into that because I know it's only Norwich and Burnley, but they went through a bit of a rough patch in the lockdown season and everyone was like, oh, where did this come from? But at the moment, Chelsea, Liverpool haven't really given any signs or hints of weak points. And I just think, you know, after United, and after you get that big first win under your belt, you look at that Southampton away game and you're just thinking, what a great opportunity to build some momentum and head of steam and really send a message out. And it just, it was one of those typical performances. They had a few half chances and then kind of faded out of the game. Harry Maguire, and I think it was the, the first half, let a loose ball kind of past him and allowed Armstrong in behind and, you know, Southampton got a needless corner from it. It's just little things that if you're Thomas, you know, a lot of the pundits have said about, you know, the difference if Chelsea were to win the league, it won't necessarily be Lukaku, it will be the manager. And I just think it's the same with United. If they had two shell as their manager or any other manager, you know, Klopp or Pep, I just think that Southampton game is a game they get a result from. And given the squad available to them, they should have won it. And I think that will ultimately be their downfall. Notice from Southampton, but they've just lost their best centre-half, they've just lost their best striker, and you've come away with a point. For me, it just summed up why United won't get near the title. And yeah, they might finish third, but they're not going to be near second or near City as long as Solskjaer's in charge. It was a very impressive Southampton performance, full of energy, Bit of quality, obviously you're going to get that with Ward-Prowse on set pieces and in general play. I thought Romeo protected the back four brilliantly. Um, Stevens was awesome. I mean, goalkeeper didn't really have a lot to do. Bit of a shame, really, because you say that and, you know, I agree. And then the one thing that he did have to do, he made an absolute howler of, I think he'll be very annoyed with that because, as you rightly said, otherwise... I, I think Southampton could have felt they might have come away with the win there. A couple of things with, with this game for me. I mean, I won't, I won't talk about it too much because Jace, you already alluded to the fact that United need to be beating these teams to be title contenders. This is, these are teams that just you cannot be dropping points against, not with that squad. Slight bit of arrogance for me from Solskjaer putting in Matic. I, I just and starting Martial up top. I just didn't see. I didn't see why that was necessary uh, in these games. I know. I know you have that formation where you have the two in midfield, but I, I don't see why he couldn't have Pogba sitting alongside Fred, which works so well against the team that you would have said are more dangerous going forward than Southampton are. And yet you play the more defensive side against, against Southampton than Leeds. And I think you put Pogba in behind with Fred and then you put out on the wing Lingard or, I mean, Sancho or Daniel James or, you know, Van der Bates on the bench as well. I think that was a, a bit of a, a bit of arrogance there that he thought he'd come away with something and it ended up biting him in the arse a little bit. I think the one thing, well, it was the first note that I noted down was I think a lot of teams are going to exploit this this season. But my God, if there's a team that are going to be your wingers of the season, it's going to be this Man United side. I mean, (laughs) every goddamn decision, they were crying 
about it. Like you would have thought that they were clinging on for dear life to some kind of relegation battle or something with the way that, I mean, it was embarrassing to see Man United whinging about every decision against Southampton of all teams. If they'd have just got on with it, they probably wouldn't have been one nil down. You know, when you say play to the whistle, and I, I, I think teams are going to exploit it. I think they're going to kick them around this season, um, especially players like Fernandez, who just oh, it's, it's that it's that typical Portuguese style player, I guess. But and then to come out with that, come out with that shocking comment in your post-match interview that you can't let football get like rugby. Oh my god! If there was ever that's already gone down as worst quote of the season. <laughs> it's just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, you know, he's got the squad depth there. He's got everything there for him. But to complain about, you know, their main playmaker supposedly being fouled and comparing it to rugby, it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? It's... What did you think of that tackle? Because it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Like, was it just a, a, a strong physical challenge? Because there's a few angles that do show him take the leg first and then there's others that show him get the ball. Do you think the ref, over overlook the foul because of the fact that you know and, and you you say this with players but it does come with them sometimes that when you see a certain player go down you just automatically assume that they're they're looking for it because of who they are and I think that's where it might get Man United stuck this season but did you think it was a foul or was it just physical football he gets the ball sorry he plays the ball he gets the ball End of. I mean, he's going to leave a little bit on the player going in that hard. You're always going to as a defender. But, I mean, he gets the ball clean. So, I mean, going forward, does that show you anything in regards to Southampton having a little bit about them this season or vice versa? Does it highlight that maybe Man United could come unstuck a bit more than you thought this season? I think it... Again, game two is hard to, uh, you know, it's Southampton's first home game, I think it was as well. So it's hard to draw any conclusions. Um, well, I mean, I'll throw, I'll throw this one at you, Jace. Next game for Man United is Wolves away. For me, it said more about Man United's potential season than it did Southampton's. Because at the moment, for me, one thing it does highlight with United is they bought in Jaden Sancho for £70 million. But that... Looking at their squad and their lineups, the last couple of games for me isn't necessarily their priority. So, well, I never understood that transfer to begin with, and I said, didn't I? The Rashford injury maybe kind of saved that transfer because Spurs are doing the exact same thing, you know, without trying to bring in my team here, but Arsenal are as well at, at one point trying to buy players that are not the priority for me. If I'm Man United. When you've got players like Greenwood, Rashford, and you've got Lingard as well, who you desperately want to keep from going back to West Ham, and then you sign Jaden Sancho, I understand it might be one of those situations of, you know, that one-time opportunity where you've just got to take the transfer because it's there. But I would have thought that, especially when you're lining up with Matic and Fred, how have they not gone out? and secured that world-class centre midfielder. That's the first place I would have looked. 
Because who have they got next? I mean, would you agree that that centre midfield would have been more important than getting another winger like your Jaden Sancho's? Agreed. I think they're another team that could have done with someone like Basuma, to be honest. 100%. That could hold the ball like a you know a younger version of Matic, hold the ball up and drop, you know, along with Pogba, work with them and drive them forward. But at least, you know, we always debate about Pogba and does he do enough defensively? Well, bring in someone like Pesuma and he can complement Pogba, allow Pogba to push forward and he can cover both halves of the box, you know, so it's... Uh... Well, I, I heard that Man United at one point were, and I thought it was problem solved, to be honest, because I heard them linked with Goretzka at one point, then I heard them being linked with Sal Niguez at um, Atletico and I thought, yeah, they're the type of players you want. Well, here we are with a week left to go and everything's just gone flat. You know, they got Varane, that's that's definitely tick box done. But that centre midfield, I mean, you talk about depth and yeah, I, I'm scratching my head there that they have not secured that second centre midfielder, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I really don't get it. But hey ho. Well, we'll move on to the final televised game. Yeah, we go to the Emirates between Arsenal, Chelsea. James Lukaku! <laughs> Just to throw the last joke out there, there's an argument that this was the weaker of the two London derbies because it is it even a big game anymore, this one. But, I mean, where do we start? Do you? Jason's already off mute. I can tell it's coming. I can't say I'm surprised, but I'm surprised to be seeing how much Arsenal fans felt they might get something from this just because they turned them over last season. But <laughs> you said Lukaku might, you know, get a goal in the in the, in his first game, Cookie, and, and it was spot on. It didn't take him very long, did it? I mean, look, what I will say is, to be fair, Arsenal had their moments and had they had a bit more quality about them, and which unfortunately at the moment you can't put quality in Arsenal in the same sentence... I think it, what it did show is that Chelsea do have potential weaknesses and there was a couple of times that Arsenal got in behind them via the channels and made runs, Smith-Rowe made a couple of runs in behind on the channels where, you know, got in behind the wing-backs. So, look, Chelsea can be got at, but unfortunately for Arsenal, again, it comes down to that quality and Arteta again has come out and, you know, said about COVID, and but, but the reality is, does that really make a difference? I mean, you know... I, I, I can't believe how weak the starting eleven looks and then you look at the bench and realise how hollow that bench is as well. A couple of weeks ago. But again, you know, we talk about, oh, £50 million Ben White couldn't start the game because, you know, potential COVID issue. But I don't believe for a second Ben White in that starting eleven makes a blind bit of difference, to be honest. It's going to be a long season for Arsenal, it really is. Chelsea are going to take some beating and Lukaku looks like a, I kind of criticised the signing before saying his last big move, obviously he's 28 now, he's got a, you know, at United he was a bit, he's got a point to prove and if he plays like he did against Arsenal on Sunday, he's going to have no problem replaying, you know, repaying that price tag. But for Arsenal, I mean, you look at West Ham now, right? They've just beat, what's it, 4-1 the Leicester game? You look at teams like that and you just think, West Ham are miles ahead of Arsenal. I can't get my head around it. The recruitment, I, I know they're going for young, hungry players, but 
you're talking about players like, you know, Ben White, who, you know, Brighton finished 16th or 17th last season. They weren't great in defence. The whole, oh, but he's good on the ball defender. Well, every defender in the top four, five or six, every defender, Harry Maguire, Lindolf, Van Dijk. Um, defenders on the ball are easier to come by these days than the defenders that are good at defending. Of course. And, and this is the thing for me is, you look at that Arsenal team, I don't mean to be extreme in this, but I would put my bottom dollar on any team this year in the Premier League, giving that Arsenal team a test. Brentford showed it. And I just... Well, I, I, I put something down just to add context to that and then I'll let you carry on. I said that defence of Arsenal will never not concede goals this season and a lot of teams could get one or two. And Arsenal's big problem at this moment in time is bearing in mind one of those games was Brentford. So let's not just say it was because it was Chelsea. They've not scored in either game. So if Arsenal are on part, on course to concede in one or two goals every game, there's either a lot of draws coming or there are a lot of losses coming. Because that defence is only one player away from being their starting back line, Jace. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but that that concern, that is a massive concern. And, you know, as you rightly said, when they're splashing out 50 million, and I'm not even going to say the Ben White one's the one here, because, you know, all right, you, you, you want to get your player. They clearly felt he was the player. So... Whether that was wrong or not is yet to be seen. You know, Man United are not looking back on the 80 million signing of Harry Maguire, which, let's be honest, everyone coughed at when it first happened. I'm still not convinced he's worth 80, but hey-ho, that's the inflated market where we're at. But to spend 30 million on a number two goalkeeper who couldn't even keep his team up is just... I, I just... Uh, I do not get where you're coming from because even like you compare that to all you need is a backup goalkeeper Arsenal had Matty Ryan from Brighton who two seasons ago was their starting goalkeeper on a free agent as a backup why'd they let him go and then you've got Spurs giving away Gazaniga to Fulham who's now the number one goalkeeper for Fulham sitting there whilst they're top of the table well, they're the type of players you bring in just to plug that hole. And that 30 million, you've just heard, I don't know if you know, but Kamavinga, the one of the most highly thought of prospects in world football, is valued 30 million euros. So you say, well, what can 30 million get you these days? Well, there you go. Probably one of the best signings Arsenal could make right now. And that's the big problem. And I don't know whether I'm echoing your thoughts, Cookie, or Arsenal fans' thoughts, but it's just chaos there for me. So sorry to take that away from you, Jace, but that's that's I just thought to add further ammunition to what you were saying, because you're you're literally reading my mind with some of the things you're saying there. Well, so one of the things that concerns me, right, is I'm not going to go over the midfield because the midfield is okay and it's only just okay, right? But if we look at their squad, right, and we alluded to this in our preview of them, so you're looking at their forward lines, Balogun, Martinelli, Nicotia, Nelson, Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette and William. 
And then you look at their defence. And I don't know, but Klasinich, Mari, Chambers, Holden, Cedric Soares, maybe the exception of Gabriel and Tierney, I don't see none of them make it into the top six teams and they'd struggle to get into the likes of West Ham's and such. And I just can't see where, where they go next. And with a week left of the transfer window, I mean, I've got no words. I don't know your thoughts on it, Cookie, but you're, you're an Arsenal fan yourself. You know what's going on there. But from the periphery, it looks a complete mess. I, I, it's hard to even argue it, to be honest. I mean, it's quite laughable at this point. Again, we're relying on the kids, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, Niketcha. You know, I mean, Saka's lost a little bit of confidence. I saw in the game yesterday, you know, he's had a couple of dodgy touches and I just think he's lost that little bit of confidence. Smith-Rowe's been given the number 10 shirt this season. You know, obviously, he's been told, look, you're the main guy, you're the number 10 now go and get me some goals or go and create and cause havoc. And to me, he just looks a little bit out of his depth at the minute. I think one thing with Saka is we need to remember the kid, you know, as you, as you rightly said, he's a kid. You know, as much as he's a really massive talent, we can't forget this, this guy's 19 years old, turning 20 at the beginning of September. As good as he is, he's still, I feel... He needs to just have that player around him. You know, when you think of these Arsenal youngsters that came through just as Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira were going out and the kids had something to turn to and go, I know I'm good, but I'm not there just yet. And when you talk about Arsenal right now and you say, who are their best players? I mean, you're looking at Saka, Smith Rowe, who's 21 himself, and probably Tierney, who's 24. So who, I mean, who's Saka turning to in that, in that team saying, you know, just, just to sort of be carried through these tough times? Because as a 19-year-old, that's massive weight on your shoulders. I mean, when you look at, just to flip it on his head a little bit, Chelsea, because we haven't even discussed Chelsea, Mason Mount, 22 years old, still, I would say, got a bit of raw talent about him. Not quite there just yet. But look at the players around him that he can turn to, to kind of go, you know, I just, I need that bit of help to sort of develop my game. Jorginho, who's potentially up for Ballon d'Or. Lukaku's just joined. Kovacic has been there for a few, few years and won a few titles. You know, they're players that are going to Kante, Thiago Silva, Timo Werner as, 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 Hot and cold as he's been for Chelsea, you can't say he hasn't got it. Ziyech for Ajax, they're all players, but I just look at Sackers and Smith Rose, and unless they learn on the go themselves, I don't think Saka's going to learn much whilst at Arsenal. He's probably going to learn more in his time at England. So that's a massive concern for me, especially when the person that he probably would have turned to, Xhaka, He's throwing his shirt on the floor as a captain and walking down the tunnel. What kind of example is that? Look, we haven't even discussed Chelsea, so I guess we better come on to them. Um, they've had, well, you, you could say, in a way, almost two training games at this moment in time. No offence, but the way they've gone. What do you think Lukaku does for Chelsea now? 
I mean, does it change anything at the top for you? I do think, even though I was a bit, you know, I did question it initially, but I do think given how Chelsea have performed in the Super Cup and the first two Premier League games, I do think Tuchel is the uh, the right man to get the best out of him and get the best out of that team. I certainly don't think it'll be a team that, that rests on its laurels. So he gives them presence, he gives them power, he gives them a vocal point and he probably guarantees them 20 goals a season. If he can come in and do that and Werner has more of a bit part to play and chips in with a few goals to get his confidence up, then, you know, Chelsea have got a real squad there. So we'll see. But again, with Chelsea, I mean, you know, I had them in in second. And I, I do think the only thing I may change from that is that, you know, they do drive on. And I do, I really do think looking at them, given the way United have performed, particularly against Southampton, Liverpool are hard one to call, but I think invariably they'll dip given the style of play and energy provided by Klopp and the fact that Salah and Mane will go to African Cup of Nations. I do think Chelsea could well be the ones to watch this year. And depending on City's outcome of getting the centre forward, I would go to as far to say as if they don't get Harry Kane or someone in as striker, then I think... Chelsea are potentially the champions elect on this season. Oh, that's bold. But I can't say I, I disagree. I actually had that thought process myself that if Man City don't get in that striker, I think when it comes to the big, big games, there's going to be a bit of bit too much of a dilemma for Guardiola because I don't think he's figured out how to handle those games yet. And at this well, moment he, in time, if Chelsea and Man City were facing each other tomorrow... I think I'd agree. I think I'd have Chelsea down to beat them all day long. Well, it'd be the champ- like the Champions League final, wouldn't it? He tried, you know, Pep tried to play without a recognised striker in that game against Chelsea, and it just didn't work. And I don't think it can work. There was never any question when Aguero played for City. If he didn't score, he would be responsible for two or three goals being set up. You know, in Lukaku, what he does do, which is probably why City need Harry Kane is he's a magnet for the ball. So what he'll do is he'll draw two centre-backs towards him, which will leave the gaps in behind either side, the left and the right channels, which means the likes of Havertz, you know, Reese James showed it when he was coming down the, you know, the right-hand side for Chelsea at the weekend now on Sunday. He will leave gaps that can be exploited by the runners in behind. And I'd say with City, Whilst you can play pretty tippy-tappy football, you still need that main focal point that can draw people away to open up the space. And I think that is probably where City are lacking at the moment and where Chelsea have the advantage. I mean, Lukaku just looks ready, doesn't he? He, he, I've got him as Premier League Player of the Year if they go on and win the league. He's that good. They're only going one way and that's up and Arsenal are only going one way and that's down. Yeah, I think there's an absolute golf in class between the two teams. I mean, there's not really much else really I can go on. I mean, Chelsea are ready ready to push Man City all the way. If they can take their chances this year, unlike they did last year, which I think they will, then I think it's Chelsea's title to, to lose. Yeah, interesting. And it'll be interesting actually to see, bearing in mind you've just made a bold comment, Cookie, because I think I remember we were all in agreement who was winning the league title 
this season and it certainly wasn't Chelsea. So be interested to see how that shapes up our league table predictions after week two. Uh, Cookie, you've got two teams to move about. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of them move, that's for sure. Um, Anyway, that's the first half of the match previews done. All the televised games we've just covered just before we move on, because I guess it makes sense because it was a televised game. I know we didn't catch much of it, but I think it's only fair that we we get it out of the way because it, it, well, I mean, I know there was a red card there and we we joined just as the red card happened. But what do you make of the West Ham 4 Leicester 1 scoreline? I mean, Antonio Brace again. An assist as well. He's becoming quite the player, isn't he? I, um, I tell you what, I, I I'll, I'll back you up on that one. I, I think this could be, I've just got a funny feeling. Well, I know he had a good season last season, but I think this season he could be immense for them. What a player when fully fit. I mean, he's unplayable at times. And I, I haven't seen, obviously we haven't seen all the game tonight, but for him to come away with a brace again and assist, I mean... It just shows how important he is now to that West Ham team. And I, I find it immense that a player in this day and age, there's not many players I can think of off the top of my head that have been brought in as a you know, right winger, then they've been converted to a wing back, and then they've been, through sheer desperation, put up top. And they've just persisted with it and persisted with it. And even as far as last season, when they got Lingard in in January, everyone was saying, we need a striker. Haller's not performing. Antonio can't carry that role the whole time. He, he's made it his own. He's, and he's absolutely smashed it and proved everyone wrong. I think he's been absolutely immense. Ben Rama got another two assists tonight as well. I, I've got to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I know it's early days. West Ham will be very happy. They're sitting top of the table. I mean, to be fair to them, that's two games with four goals scored. Away to Newcastle. And at home to Leicester. And again, would they have scored four if there was a red card there? But it's nice to see, and I say it's nice to see, (laughs) I don't think it takes a a genius to work out that I don't often say nice things about West Ham. I don't think any three of us would. But it is nice to see, especially more so for Moyes, because I I actually quite like to see Moyes do do well with some of the stick that he's had over the past number of years. The fact that a West Ham of old, I think, would have been quite happy to try and stick out that 1-0 or 2-1 win against Leicester. But clearly they've got this ruthlessness about them this season where they're going to go for it. And Bumrama, who we didn't see much of last year uh, after that, you know, big signing coming in from from Brentford. He's starting to turn it on. Fornells, who he signed for West Ham just as he turned, I think, 23 or something like that. So he's only 25 at the moment. So he's, you know, he's not exper- an experienced player in, in that regard when it comes to age. So he has a lot to offer. And then, as you've said, you've got Antonio. The only thing that's going to bring West Ham unstuck, but we won't repeat it again, is, is what happens when Antonio you know, goes down with an injury. Yarmolenko came on tonight for him and I just don't see Yarmolenko carrying that team. But then again, when you've got Ben Rama, Fornals, Bowen in behind, 
you're starting to think they've got a bit about them, but they are one of those that are very strong when it comes to starting 11s. And when you compare the West Ham's team to the, to the Leicester team and you look at the bench, that's where I don't think this scoreline will reflect league table position because when you look at West Ham's bench in comparison to Leicester's, there's a big difference. Yeah. But let's West Ham's team, to be fair to them, they're starting 11. When you look at that in comparison to Leicester, which maybe I didn't give them a fair shot at, is not far, to be fair. Rice, Suchet, Bowen, Fornals, Ben Rama, that's a pretty good five. And their defence even, Kufau and Cresswell, seem to be bossing it on the sort of fullback position. Mm-hmm. So... I think they've got a lot to offer this season. It's just whether the injuries get the better of them because I just can't see players like Mark Noble and Yarmolenko sort of filling them gaps. No, uh, I agree. I think we won't touch on that too much because we've mentioned it again. But, you know, if you look at their their official forward options, you've got Yarmolenko, Ben Rama, Bowen and Antonio. So you've got four options there. When you contemplate that three of them actually are in the starting eleven, it just shows you you know, one or two injuries, it could go a bit wayward. So, look, there's still, what is it, about a week week or eight days left in the transfer market. They've been linked with a couple of strikers, nothing too concrete. But, you know, if they can get those sorted, then they've got some team there. Leicester, on the flip side, could be a case of red card change in the game. I don't know, but obviously they were a goal down anyway, so I'm not too sure how much of an impact the red card on the game. But... um West Ham want look. West Ham will be one of those teams this year that no one should underestimate, and maybe, maybe Leicester underestimated them a little bit, or maybe it's just a case West Ham are in a really good moment at the moment, and it's a weird time of season because you'll have different teams at different optimum fitness levels as well. You know, going going through the motions in pre-season, so you know maybe they've worked really well on their fitness, and that's why they're so sharp to begin with. And you know, you'll have a other late blossomers as well, but great result for West Ham. Leicester will be looking at that, thinking, "Oh, opportunity kind of missed because we're, you know, you'd like to think where they want to be in the table, but they'd be expecting at least a point from that game, and you certainly wouldn't have had them down as losing so heavily." But you know, credit to West Ham, the no walkovers. So, I mean, I want to know who West Ham scouts are because their transfer business in the last. Two years has been phenomenal. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, I mean to great. find Suchek. I mean, whoever found that has got to be licking his lips and wanting a pay rise because he has been awesome. Not just last year, but even as soon as he come in, he fit in straight next to Declan Rice, and he's been a constant threat. Not doing his job protecting the back four, but going forward, I mean he's phenomenal. I mean Suchek at left back for. Five million quid, was it? Brilliant bit of business. Ben Rama, I mean, he come in for good money last year, was it? Had a season to, you know, un- I- fair play to David Moyes, because I think he's taken him to the side and be like, get you a little bit of Premier League experience for a year. Once Lingard goes back to Man United, this is what I want you to do and be the focal point of our team. And he's definitely gone in pre-season and worked on his game. And he's now reaping the benefits of it. 
I mean, with Leicester, okay, I think tonight was a one-off. You know what you're going to get with Leicester. They'll react. They'll come back. Yeah, I just thought we'd touch on that because it's only fair it was a televised game. Um, but that's the first five games done. And we move on to the middle segment of the show, whereby we have a little bit of fun, I guess. So the first, the first part we're going to come to are the predictions from last week. <laughs> I don't think you two have much to say, to be honest. But we'll, we'll work through them. So, first, the first. Well, first no problem. Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. On to the next. Here we go then. So, let's let's cover it. So, Brighton Watford. So, we had uh, Jason, you said 2 1 Watford. Cookie, you said 1 all. And I said 2 0 Brighton. And I do get the first three points of the uh, the season, I will say, because I got that one spot on. Uh, and if I'd have gone with my gut instinct on the other one, I'd have had six, for fuck's sake. Um, but then we move on to the, you know, Palace-Brentford fixture, whereby <laughs> I think we, we were all a bit wider the mark, weren't we? So I said 2-1 Brentford. Cookie, you said 2-0 Palace. Jason, you thought there would be... <laughs> A lot of goals for your first uh, visit to Stelhurst, and uh, <laughs> I think you might have jinxed that one a little bit because, as we as we know, which we'll come to at the end, um, it was a it was a nil nil. So you know that 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 one didn't pick up any points, and then we got to the final one, which was Leeds Everton, and I don't think we really knew what to expect whether it was going to be a bit of a shut up shop at the back from Everton or whether there were going to be goals and I wish I'd have gone with my gut because I, I said it wouldn't surprise me if this was a 2-2 but I just couldn't see Everton getting the two goals in that one but lo and behold it was 2-2 but I got a point anyway I said it was one all Cookie you were close 2-1 Leeds you said and Jace you said 3-1 Leeds so four points for me none for you what'd you make of that? Early days, mate. Early days. Unpredictable at this stage of the season. Well, that puts Cookie at the bottom on one point. Jason, you're on two for getting two, you know, correct outcomes last week. Um, and then I'm on five. So three points from this week, one point from the Leeds Everton, and then one point from last week. So five, two and one. Plenty of time. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But now we come on to the... Uh, pressure point of the show let's just say because we come to around Europe whereby we have one minute to summarize five leagues and we have Cookie this week to take part which will be interesting because me and Jason had a bit of a back and forth about this last week whether you can fit it all in as near to the minute as possible or whether you either get caught out by the alarm or whether you you pull out early and just take a, you know, 45 to 50 second punt. But yeah, it's a bit of fun. But you know what we have to do first, don't you? That's never going to get old. That's just never going to get old. Not for me anyway. So I'm sorry, boys, but... We'll still be hearing that come May. I'm not, Wayne. 
Oh dear, you gotta laugh, you gotta laugh. It's the highlight of the show. I know it is. I've had feedback. Anyway, we'll spin this wheel then. But the first question is, who's going first? Who's having a full whack at any one of these five leagues? Who's who's brave enough? Go on, I'll go first. Oh, Cookie's going go on, first. I'll go. Guess first, oh. hey, come on. Oh, no so pressure. Right, can I just set, can I, because I was a bit upset by this last week, all right, as Jason very well knows, because I told him, I said to him off air, look, you're bang out of order for doing that, uh, but can we have no heckling from the audience, please, because it's very off-putting, and it, and it wastes valuable seconds when it comes, you know, that minute's not a long time, we need every second we get, so keep it quiet over there, Basta, all right, but the moment I say the league Cookie, you need to go, all right? And Jason will have you on a timer. So, Jason, have you got your clock ready? I have. Uh, yes, he's ready. Just to confirm to all our listeners there, he did say clock. <laughs> he did say yeah. clock. He, he has his clock in his hand, all I'm right? a bit conscious because you were talking about pulling out early and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, with Cookie being an Arsenal fan, you go drastically <laughs> wrong. Well, when you're 2-0 down, I guess you get bored. But anyway, um, here comes the Wheel of Fortune cookie just for you, my friend. So it's Thank League you. One, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A and the Championship. And when I say League One, I mean French League One. All right, no confusion there. Here we go. And Cookie, your league that you are discussing is... The championship. Right, so we've got three teams at the top of the championship in Fulham, West Brom and Stoke, all on 10 points, followed closely by Coventry in fourth and nine. You've got QPR, Cardiff and Bournemouth all scrapping for playoff places at the minute. Fulham were brilliant again, 2-0 winners, comfortable. They look like they're going to be favourites to come up, same as West Brom. Near down the bottom, oh, he's not prepared. We have got, we have got Forest on no points, Sheffield United surprisingly with only one point, Blackpool, Millwall on two, and my favourite team that I've kept an eye on, Derby, currently sitting in 14th place, going along quite nicely under Wayne Rooney at the minute. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> you had six seconds to spare there, and I can confirm I learned shit all about the championship. <laughs> I tell you what, you done all right. First go, come on. Hey, eh? I mean, yeah, we might have seen a couple of scores come out or something, you know. I, I, I personally just to just to say the one thing I, I, I definitely wanted to, if I, if I was discussing the championship. Can we just give a shout out to the uh, Fabio Carvalho, the 18-year-old at Fulham? What a season he's having so far. Three goals and one assist. He's going to be one of those that I think will be looked at for, for the next few seasons. But yeah, you've done well. I mean, Coventry in fourth, happy days like that. But why are you, why are you following Derby out of interest? Well, what's the, what's the following there? Crazy story. I mean, it's amazing how Rooney's only got about seven players and injuring him players himself. You know, mm. he's probably good enough <laughs> to be on the field himself. 
It's good. It's a car crash. It makes me feel better as an Arsenal fan watching them lot over there. Well, hey, it, won't, it, won't, it won't be long, mate. And it seems to be working a little bit better for them in there. I mean, fair play to Rooney for staying. It's sticking in there in the sense that he's, he's got no money and no budget. He's probably got no options other than... Yeah, I don't home. think he's got... I don't think he's got a choice. I don't think he's got any credentials to be packing up and going on bigger than this. I because mean, he's fair play to him. Look, I, I, I said this, didn't I? I? I've sent out a warning and uh, we still had the heckling. What's going on, Jace? Well, he fluffed his lines a little bit. He needed a little nudge, didn't he? Hey, it's it's his first game nerves. It's first game nerves. Give give him his give him his chance. Lost his body. Hey? Just like Arteta. Lost his body. But yeah, a couple of you can tell the preparation wasn't quite there for that one. He was hoping one of the other leagues, I think, was gonna come out. Table I don't understand leader. anything. I didn't understand a word of what he said, to be honest. It was all... Well, come on then, big man. Let's let's have a look. League one, Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga. Which one are you hoping for? Um, he hasn't followed La Liga much. I'll take on any. All right, well, you're going to get any. So here we go. Interesting. You've got quite a bit to talk about, my friend. Because you are going to France, League One. Okay, so things got messy in Brest. PSG uh, ran out um, 4-2 winners there, so that was a good result for them. Messi did not play, I can confirm. Still relying on match fitness. Um, Marseille-Nice the fans were not very nice um, there was a bit of a camaraderie between players and fans there and the game ended up getting suspended which is the big big talking point of that game uh, so that resulted in a suspension which is unheard of um, Monaco and Lens. Monaco lost 2-0 and there was two red cards in that game uh, Lille last, last season's title winners um, ended up only getting a draw against Saint Etienne. I caught the last ten minutes of that, and Saint Etienne could have actually, you know, won that towards the end after their 85th minute equaliser. The PSG are top on nine points, played three one three. Angers uh, on seven points in second. And, there you go, and there we go. Oh, he got cut. Got cut. Hey, eh? I don't think that was a minute. I think Cookie Conley. I actually had you on 61 seconds, so you had an extra extra second. Oh, he had loads more time to to get a few more in as well, and he just didn't didn't capitalise on it. But hey yo. Well, that was a, that was a good one. Yeah, to be honest, you got I mean, the big points on that one. Yeah, the big points, obviously, that brawl was poof, I've I've not seen anything like it. But again, Pyatt involved, didn't he? He's a hothead, that one. With his little man buns. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy over there. Right, well, that leaves me with one of La Liga, Bundesliga or Serie A. I hope you get La Liga. La Liga. <laughs> well, either way, whatever I'm getting here, you know, it's it's one of them things. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. So I am going to get this ready to spin. My league is... Cheers, boys. My league is going to be La Liga. Are we ready? think so. You think so? Right, well, your time starts about now. Right, OK. So after two games, Atletico Madrid are currently sitting top with two wins, with Real Madrid sitting in second after a scare, you could say. 
against Levante on Sunday after being 3-1 down. Um, Memphis Depay gets on the score sheet for Barcelona, but only in a one-all draw. Um, everything's looking pretty standard with the top four, but after tonight's result, and once again, uh, with three goals now this season, Eric Lamella got a 93rd-minute winner tonight to put Sevilla top of the table. So they're looking pretty good up top. But yeah, as I said, everything's looking pretty standard. No real surprises. Uh, you could probably say Celta Vigo sitting near the bottom is a bit of a surprising one, but that game is still currently ongoing. Uh, but yeah, other than that, not a lot to cover. Angel Correa, top of the table on goals, and Vinicius Jr. and Eric Lamella all tied on three, with Benzema sitting very close on two goals and two assists. Oh, oh, what about that, eh? Lamella again, Jesus Christ. Well, that's me done. You know, I've got no more to cover because it's going to land on you both, being guests and all that. So... I believe, Cookie, it's come back to you, eh? Well, we got Italy or Germany, yeah? You've got Serie A or Bundesliga, yeah. Let's see who you're getting. Ooh, the stars may have aligned because you have landed on Bundesliga. So, Cookie, your minute for the Bundesliga starts now. So we're currently in early days in the Bundesliga with Wolfsburg sit, are the only team sitting on with two wins from two after beating Hertha Berlin 2-1. Bayern Munich are currently sitting in fourth at the minute, even though they just scraped a win against Cologne 3-2. Borussia Dortmund, however, were shocked as they lost 2-1 to Freiburg, which leaves them in seventh. Um, I believe we've got a little bit of an upset with Russian Gladbach, only one point and six at the minute. Oh, he's not sure. Or against, oh, lost, sorry, against Bayer Leverkusen 4 0, got their asses handed to them. Other than that, there isn't really much else to say other than it's early days. Well, I'll take that as time then. So you you finished you wrapped that up on fifty three seconds I'd say no you did all right yeah, to be yeah fair, you got a bit of... gaps in his knowledge with seven seconds to spare outrageous I've never only played two games I mean Jason's not got a lot to talk about if it's only two games because Serie A's only had one <laughs> uh, but anyway here we go then Jace Serie A I don't need to spin the wheel anymore so no. your minute for Serie A starts. Now, so eventful in Syria out this weekend. Seven red cards in total, six alone in yesterday's games. Biggest talking point yesterday: Juventus dropped points to Udinese in a two-all draw. Controversial. Ronaldo goal disallowed in the 94th minute. Not a happy bunny. Ends up getting booked. Also started on the bench as transfer speculation continues to grow on his future at Juve. Roma comfortable winners under Mourinho's first game in charge. Tammy Abraham impressed. Two assists in his debut there. Zaniolo back for Roma. Inter Milan comfortable on Saturday. 4-0 winners. Sit top of Serie A along with in, uh, Roma, Lazio, Napoli, Bologna, Atalanta and AC. All on three points. So no big surprises there. Plenty of red cards. Plenty of talk on Ronaldo. And um, the big guns come out firing in the opening game. Apart from Juve who sit in 11th. 
58 seconds. Not bad. Not bad. Pretty much, I, to be fair, all my notes on Serie A were the same, to be to be honest, with the seven red cards. That's madness. But yeah, Inter, I mean, Inter winning 4-0, Lukaku who, they'll be saying. Summed up pretty nicely. Always a bit of a pressure point of the show. Well, I, I reckon these final, what, five games, we could we can get wrapped up in the next half hour with the end segment. But we're going to move straight into a big game which I, I managed to catch, uh, and that was Leeds-Everton. That was my choice of the three o'clock kickoff, um, and I'm glad I did because it was such a good game. Firstly, the crowd were amazing on both sides. The chants going back and forward were hilarious. They were so, so good, and it, it, it did make the game electric, and I think it rubbed off on the players because you had one team constantly trying to pressure, and then you had the other who being Everton were were happy to sit in at times, but when they countered, my God, they were they were dangerous. And I said it before about Everton that they'll bring in, you know, they brought in Townsend, they brought in Gray, they'll play a particular way under Benitez to try and get the best out of Calvert Lewin and get supply in the box. And to all intents and purposes, Benitez has got that team playing. He's even making a, a Wobi look like a consistent player now, which He's been one that many fans have questioned over the years. But I think, you know, before the game, I mean, I predicted Leeds winning this one quite comfortably and Everton were probably unlucky not to not to win it. But, you know, both teams going at it. Rafinha's goal was sublime, that has to be said. Not much that Everton could do about that. It flew in um, and was a great strike. But, um, no, I think, I think he'll be happy with that Benitez. He's a... He's a wise old owl and going away to Leeds and getting a point. I think he'll he'll be pleased with that. But I think more so he'll be pleased with, you know, we typically link Benitez teams with being efficient and, you know, maybe not scoring too many goals. But maybe that's just his time at Newcastle kind of clouding over him a bit. But long may it continue for them. I think with Leeds, it exposed Bielsa Ball or whatever you want to, you know, they're held in high regard for this tactical genius but again I think he was exposed in that game and it and it said it all again so for me in a nutshell draw probably a fair result but Everton looking looking positive. Leeds I feel in every game have to get at least two goals otherwise they could be looked staring down the barrel of defeat because that's what seven goals shipped in two games now I think the strength in attack, as you saw with teams like Brentford even, I think there's a lot more teams, as we alluded to with Burnley, probably being only one of the final, maybe Newcastle as well, being the final few that you may see playing that old style of football that helped a lot of teams in the past, but I just don't think fits the mould these days. And I think Leeds are going to be another one of those that are going to, find it very difficult if they don't get a couple of goals on on the board as they've rightly done this week with getting two and still only getting a draw. That's just going to be a typical Leeds season again. I just think they're just going to be wacky. They're just going to, you know, go for it. All guns are blazing. They're going to score a lot of goals. They're going to concede a lot of goals. That's why I've got them where they are. Everton. Just a question to you, Cookie. Are Everton still a 15th place team for you? It's a difficult one because I think Benitez is still not a popular choice with the fans. 
How can how can he be if he's won the Champions League with Liverpool? But I mean, do you think that? Do you think that's still the case? Two I'm games not. in, Southampton three one showed a good performance away to Leeds. I mean, how how long do you think this this hate for Benitez could last? Because it seems to have gone quiet already. I mean, I know I'm not a cop, you know, I'm not in Merseyside hearing it all, but. You know, it was it was everywhere. It was all over Twitter. It was all over the news. But I've not seen anything since that win at Southampton. They're always going to keep some sort of hatred towards them. I mean, during the games, when you're winning games as a manager, <laughs> the opposite. If you're winning games, he's the best manager in the world, isn't he? If he goes on a run of five or six games and he lose and he doesn't get a win, that's when it shows. In fairness to him, he did stem the tide at Chelsea when he was at Chelsea, wasn't he? He was absolutely slated for going there, but he did a good job and he came out of it okay. There's no way he finishes 15th for that team. I'll tell you that now for free. The fact that, you know, Richarlison, we, I mean, me and Scott alluded that Richarlison would struggle. He ain't struggling, is he? It's going to come a point where burnout might be a case, though. Like you said, he went to the Olympics. Do you rest him now or do you rest him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest, I'm surprised. I thought Richarlison would have been waiting until September to get a game in, but he seems to have jumped straight in. But then again, I mean, you look at the starting lineup for Everton in that game. What, they had Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin. They didn't start Townsend in this one. You forget this. Bearing in mind the season he had at PSG, but Moise Keane's back in. Andre Gomez is still out injured. We still don't know the full story behind James Rodriguez, where that's going to go. But for, for Everton to finish 15th, you're looking at Southampton, Newcastle, them sort of teams are going to finish above them, which I, I can't see happening, that's for sure. I, I mean, if they do, Benitez won't be around to, to see out Christmas. But yeah, really good game. Probably the highlight of this second batch of games, to be honest. Next, we move on swiftly to probably the easiest prediction of the weekend. And we go to the Etihad for Man City's first three points of the season. I mean, I couldn't tell if it was a pre-season friendly, to be honest, or, or a league match. And certainly some controversy stirred up with TalkSport and Alex Crook's comments around Norwich being bad for the Premier League, which is the irony when they've just been beaten by a team funded by oil money. I think there's a lot to be said on that one for another for another episode, that's for sure, because it hasn't gone down too well. But we're talking about the match in itself. I mean, it was all fairly standard. It was quite easy. <laughs> it really see. is, yeah. I mean, Grealish's opening goal for the club was obviously a talking point. He's off the mark, but it was almost quite a comical goal because, you know... It, <laughs> don't know if he really meant it or not, or he didn't know if it was coming to him, but he obviously got his goal. Sterling's off the mark for the season. Mares obviously scored. You know, it was City at a canter. I don't think anyone expected anything other than a you know a comfortable victory for City. And I can't recall any talking points. No disrespect to Norwich, but there was nothing there to suggest anything different. And the game went completely as I anticipated. I mean, it says it all that I'm super six, just them super six. Man City, Norwich 5 0. 55,000 people guessed that scoreline correctly, which says it all, really, doesn't it? That was a nice little stat there, Cookie. Well played. That I was had one in this sleeve. I was waiting for that one. 
Yeah, that was good. That was very good. Pulled mm. that one out of your ass. That one, that was well played. Just on Norwich, though, I mean, look, I, I said this, you know, you can't judge Norwich. Facing Liverpool and Man, and Man City is as hard as it gets. And then you've got a Leicester side coming up next, which I'm sure tonight's result will maybe put a smile on Norwich faces. But then will it? Because will they be coming back for revenge? But I mean, I know you say it's early days, two games, no goals. But I said this before, how long can that go on for until it starts to become a concern? Because I don't think... I'm you just... said this last week, didn't you? You know, you yeah. don't think Norwich are one of those teams that fear too much. But then again, that was the argument where Alex Crook kind of raised the point of, well, if you're not going to try to stay in the league, then let someone else do it. But there's yeah. a pro and a con to that statement because... But... Norwich are well are self-sufficient. They're very self-sufficient. Probably one of the best-run teams in the in in you know English football. But on the flip side, for competition reasons, they are in a sense a waste of time when it comes to they're at the bottom of everyone's league table. But then again, you know that's that's the way they run. But then that's that's down to the league being there for manipulation because as long as they keep getting the parachute payments, happy days, isn't it? Well, here's the thing, right? I find this very ironic that Norwich are being lambasted for this when football was in the midst of a pandemic and a lot of clubs are running at massive losses, right? The top six are basically cut off. No one can cut that top six, right? So, in essence, why spend 100, 150, 200? I mean, Villa got lucky. Villa are a prime example. They went through that summer, not last season, the season before, where... They spent a load of money. Now, had they got relegated, which they nearly did, they finished 17th and only just stayed up with the skin of the teeth, it would have been a financial disaster. So why should Norwich risk financial implosion just to keep up pace for the league? They've, they've earned the right to be there. They'll spend what they feel is necessary for a club their size because they've only got a certain gate receipt with a stadium size, and they'll do what they can. If anything, it proves the point that, as you said, Scott, last week, Things like wage caps and stuff should come in. So it's, you know, more evenly balanced and fairer in that respect. I don't think teams should be punished if they're not willing to spend. You no, know, not every club is owned by oil owners and gargantuans, are they? So I don't see how that's an argument, to be honest. But surely there's got to come to a point where you've got to think, you know what, this year we're not going to be the whipping boys of the Premier League. We're going to go and spend a bit of money and try and stay up for a couple of years. But, but be a that, bit more competitive. Do, do that and risk what? Finishing separate. The thing that doesn't make sense to me is why would you want to spend £100 million, right, and finish 17th when another team can spend £100 million and finish 8th? If you're going to approach the league like that, and whilst I'm not saying I disagree with how Norwich are doing it, if that's how they want to do it, then that's fine. I mean, for fans, I don't get where the excitement is, though. That's, that's the only thing. You know, the whole point of it is competition and... I know they're not going to do anything, but you know, if if Norwich turned around and went, well, okay, we'll 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 see how we get on in the Premier League. But if we don't do well, then fine. But then they don't make an effort in the cups either. So I don't get the purpose. They're they're a filler in a sense. But if they're going to take that approach to to coming up and then going back down, why spend fifty four million full stop? Because that's how much they've spent this season. What's the point? You know, there is no point in spending that much money. You might as well just but go... Those well, players, but you say that, but then those players, if they get relegated, will probably stick with them, like Harrens did and Bundia did for a season in the Championship. 
and bring them back up again. Well, maybe, maybe. Remains to be seen. But yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see with Norwich. But we moved to Aston Villa, Newcastle. and We get our first glimpse of the Aston Villa that we thought we may have seen against Watford. I mean, I mentioned this last week that I, I don't think the Villa we saw against Watford was a fair team to judge. They didn't have Watkins. They came on didn't actually play this week. Danny Ings certainly hitting the ground running, two goals in two games. Newcastle, if they don't score, they're likely going to lose every game, I think, because I can't see too many clean sheets coming from them too often. I mean, look, this game just showed what we said again. We said it the, the week prior. Villa couldn't be that bad again. And we said for all how well Newcastle played against West Ham, they still ended up losing that game. It just proved a couple of points there that Newcastle are going to be that inconsistent team. And Villa, I think it will take time to gel because obviously they've had a you know high turnover turnover of players coming in. But, you know, they will get there. They're good players, so they should uh, be up to the task. And as for Newcastle, it's going to be one of them what-if seasons, I think. You'll get the good, the bad and the ugly with them and I think they'll finish somewhere in between, which I don't think anyone will be surprised by. So, How are Aston Villa, Cookie? Yeah, they're all right, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Danny Ings, I was a bit iffy with. I thought that come out of the blue and I thought, if he gets over them injuries and you get a fully fit Danny Ings and this is what I'm expecting. I mean, he's got Bailey to come into it as well, which could be very excited for Villa. Shall we move on to the next one? Indeed we shall. Well, we go to Molyneux then. Oh, I've got, got to be honest, I thought I was going to be sitting here very quietly um, listening to you two get your own back a little bit after me giving you a, a tough time last week. But somehow, some somehow, we are one of those few teams at the top of the table sitting with six points. And I must say, we did not deserve it in the slightest. I don't know whether either of you caught it, but obviously I watched it. <laughs> but my God, we were lucky. Well, Adama Traore just paved his way for his transfer. Then he missed a couple of absolute sitters. So I think he's done to Tottenham a favour. Well, I think, I think that's the only thing that stops him being a massive multi-million pound player. Because I, I don't think, as long as he keeps missing them chances, that on any other day, would put Wolves in a great place. I said this last week, if that was Pedro Neto, I think they've got a point or they've got three points there. But that's two absolute howlers he's missed. And that's the only thing I think that prevents him being more than a £40 million player, to be honest. Parasici paid him for that. He was never going to bag the winner against his new club that he's potentially going to, was he? He was so good, other than... That chance that he that he had, he had, I said this last week for us when with Man City, but he had us on toast. I mean, to be fair to him, he gave more of a challenge to Tanganga than Grealish and Sterling did combined. I think there's a lot more to say about Wolves in this game because I think they can take a hell of a lot from these first two games. And I think they are the most unfortunate team to not have three points against two teams who are easily above them in another bracket. And if this is anything to go by, depending on how Triore, and I said this before, even if Triore goes, I think they've got enough there with Podence and Neto to come in yet. I think they'll be absolutely fine because they play like how they did against Leicester and how they did against us. I think they're going to rinse teams, to be honest. 
See, I don't know. I think they need to start putting the ball in the net because they still haven't scored a goal yet. You say that about Traore, but we've said this about Traore for ages. I mean, they, def- they definitely miss Jimenez. I mean, peak Jimenez before his unfortunate incident. You know, he could crack in 20, 25 goals a season easily. But, I mean, his opponent's got enough about him. Is he going to kick on like some other players we've said tonight? Is Pedro Neto going to kick on in this league? I think Neto is. I think Neto's already. I think Neto's already done it. TFD put out a poll a while ago about comparing Pedro Neto to Diogo Yota, and Wolves said, "I mean, granted, there's going to be an element of bias there, but Wolves mm. said they felt, for in terms of raw talent, Neto has a lot more about him than Yota did." Yotta then got the move that seems to have elevated him even further. So whether there's more to be had with Neto if he moved on, but I, I definitely think Neto's got a lot, a lot about him. But I don't think any of them have the fear that Triore places on on fullbacks because I've just never seen a guy so big and yet so quick in my life. But yeah, it was a great performance from Wolves, and and I must say from Spurs, it was it was an awful performance. But we're winning games that on any other season, we just would not have won this game, I don't think. And I said this earlier with Arsenal and I've said it with Man United. Is £40 on Triore what we need to be doing right now when you've got Bergwijn, Son and Lucas Moira on the wings? Do we need Triore? Have we got other positions we need a lot more than the one that we're trying to get with Triore? I think... You look at centre-back and maybe a partner for Romero, but then you look at the City game and the way the players played. Does he feel like he's got enough there? I think a lot of Spurs' business, let's face it, probably hinge on two things here, and that's Shifton and Dombele that's been muted out the last week or two, and probably the whole Harry Kane saga. And I think that'll shape how Spurs go about their business, I think. Well, that one, that one's... Pretty much summarise and we come to the the highlight of the week. The Palace-Brentford match ended up being a nil-nil draw. Maybe both teams would be happy with it. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, was, it was a weird game. Um, the atmosphere was obviously bouncing and it was a great game. London derby. A couple of things that stood out for me. We spoke about Palace and the transition they're going through to be more kind of on the front foot and pressing with the ball, which they're definitely doing. And Brentford, we obviously got a glimpse of them and what they're about at Arsenal. And we all connected goals to this game. But one thing I will say on both sides is defensively, neither side put a foot wrong. It was a nil-nil, which is obviously disappointing. But for me, there was positives. Obviously, it's the first point on the board. You know, Brentford are no walkovers. Goal scoring is obviously going to be an issue that needs to be addressed. But I think we'll get there. I think... There's players for Palace to come back as a Elise and there's a couple of murmurs in the market as to who we could be in for. And, um, you know, Brentford will be happy again, another point on the board off the back of the Arsenal game. And actually on balance, even if there was goals, a draw is probably a fair result. Cookie, who do you think out of the two teams will be more happy with that point? Oh, Brentford will. But can I just say that is the longest analysis of a nil-nil draw I have ever had. Yeah, but you see, <laughs> it's coming for you. But that, I mean, it was nil-nil. Well, we've got one more point than Arsenal. What are you saying? 
Yeah, but at least we'll make it entertaining that we're going to get back to three nil every week. I don't think you have any part to play in the entertaining side. I don't think <laughs> we play our part in entertainment. Because it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. There were still shots on goal. London was... Derby. Oh. There were still shots on goal, Cookie. There were still shots on goal. Tell me this, Cookie. You lost 2-0 to Brentford. We drew 0-0 to Brentford. What what does that say about Arsenal? Does that say they're on par with Palace or what? Because I don't really get the point you're trying to make here. You lost 2-0 to Brentford and then you lost 2-0 to Chelsea. We're a point better off than you after playing the same two games. Can we just, uh, I know we're about to wrap up the show, but if we just, um, I'd like to quickly say that after tonight's game, obviously West Ham are top, Chelsea second, Liverpool in third and Brighton are fourth and Spurs are in fifth. So the top five yeah. all on six points. And if we just cast our way to the bottom three <laughs> of the first couple of games, we've got Newcastle in 18th. I repeat, Newcastle in 18th. We've got Arsenal in 19th. I'll repeat, Arsenal in 19th. I hear you the first time, Jason. Don't need um, to repeat yourself. Jason, and, who's in 19th? Uh, we've got Arsenal in 19th. <laughs> yeah, okay, uh, okay, it's not seven error. Arsenal in 19th. And yeah, Bottom yeah, yeah. Is, is Norwich. Yeah, as, as <laughs> predicted. I must say, I'm, I'm surprised to see Newcastle and Norwich in that bottom three. I've got to be honest. Everything else is pretty much how we thought it'd be. Anyway, let's go to the game week three match predictions. So we, I don't know whether to pick an easier game for you both this week, just to try and get you back on level pegging. Cookie, you're the guest. What's your match for prediction? What, what are you going for? I'll tell you what, I'll go... With Newcastle, Southampton. Oh, interesting. That was one of mine I was you, eyeing up. You should have just went for City Arsenal, 4 0 Man City. That's your three points in the back. Is that your one then, James? No, it's not. I'm going to go West Ham Palace. Oh, Palace again. Really? It's only, it's only one result there. All right, I'll, I'll, let's, let's explode this a little bit, shall we? Because I think we're going to get a, our first taste of, of a of where things are up there. I'm going to throw the big one in. Liverpool-Chelsea. Right, mm. so on that note, Newcastle-Southampton then. Cookie, that was your game, so what are you going for? I'm going to back Newcastle in this because I think they're going to get first home win of the season. I'm going to go 2-0. I've gone 1-0 on this one. So, yeah, Newcastle 1, Southampton 1. Jace. I'm going to go 2-1 Southampton. Ooh, all bases covered. Okay. West Ham Palace. Jace, that was your game. Yeah. What are you going for? I am going to go for 2-1 West Ham. You're not backing yourself for a point. The aim of this game is to predict the results accurately, Cookie. Go on in, Cook. Who are you going for? God, back your own team if you're going to keep picking them, surely. Now I've got 3-0 West Ham. <laughs> I've gone for 3-1 West Ham. So pretty unanimous there. Not the most difficult game to predict, it doesn't look like, from us. Liverpool-Chelsea, so that was my game, I'll tell you what. God, I still think after this game we're not going to know where things are. I I'm going to be as boring as I can be here and say 1-1. I'm going to say Chelsea win. I'm going to say 3-1, Chelsea. <laughs> Go on in, Cook, what you got? 
Oh, see, now I've gone with Chelsea, but I've gone 1 0. 1 0. These games always do strike me as those they're that just, are high. It's, they're it's one of those ones that's they're so edgy. It's going to be whoever handles the nerves. That's close. All right, that's interesting. So we've, they're, the, they're the predictions for next week. I would have thought there's one game there which we've all got a point coming our way and that'll probably be the one that doesn't give us a point which will be to Jason's delight. Uh, maybe he's doing that on purpose for karma. Right, we've got a bit of an interesting part of the show now because we've got who's up and who's down. So Cookie, you, because you missed last week's show because obviously it falls into your work-life balance, shall we say. You've got two teams to move up or down. So I'll be interested to know before we do our week two up and down, who was your week one up and down and tell us who was, what position they were and what position they've gone down to and swap or up to and swapped with. Well, I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> there's, only, there's, a, there's only one, let's be honest. Now I've gone Arsenal and I think I'll go eighth. And who have they swapped with? West Ham. Yeah, okay. So that was unanimous then, week one. Now it comes down to week two. Who's everyone moving around this week? So I'm going to go back on myself on who's winning the title. And I just think Chelsea now with Lukaku, I think Chelsea have won the league. So you've gone Chelsea to go into top spot now, right? Top spot, yeah, with City second. I'm going to actually move Everton up from 11th to 10th and drop Villa down to 11th. Might be a bit of a safe one because, as I said, the Leeds-Villa-Everton scenario is a bit back and forward. But what I've seen so far, as much as I think Villa have got it in attack, I think defence-wise, Everton might have a bit more about them than, than Villa will. And it depends on how long this... Watkins situation takes but right now I just think they've got the manager as well so I'm going to move Everton up to 10th and Villa down to 11th so nothing groundbreaking probably quite boring to be honest but wasn't really anything else that I saw that made me feel things were going to change too much so yeah that's my one and I'm going to follow Cookie and I'll swap City and Chelsea around and Chelsea to win the league. Agree on something. I'm not going to lie, that is something that's pending. There's a couple of things with Man City and Chelsea and then you've got the Man United-Liverpool argument as well, to be honest. There's a, there's a couple of little shifts there. But I'm going to give it... I'm going to, give, I'm going to see this game first because if Chelsea lose to Liverpool, I think you boys might be... Uh, might be eating your words a little bit on that one, but if they win, yeah, I might be following you. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, that was a bit of an anti-climax, to be fair, even though you have just swapped the league title winners around. Uh, but, yeah, I think everyone would kind of be nodding their heads going, yeah, pretty much agree. Well, that's the show done. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Any final words before we sign out? Just a cookie, make sure you're more on it for your little one-minute pieces. But other than that, I'll give you benefit of the doubt for this week. Cut your analysis for your nil-nils. <laughs> Still one point better off than Arsenal, though, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't trade it for the world, boys. You two are priceless. And uh, as for you guys listening to this, we thank you again for joining and listening to episode 13. 
We'll be back next week, as always, whereby we will give you more shit analysis of nil-nil draws. And uh, we will continue to uh, try and make it the least bit entertaining with our Wheel of Fortune segment, which will not be going anywhere. Because if that goes, this show might as well end. And on that note, I am done. I am Scott. And next week, Jason will be hosting. Good luck with that one. And uh, Cookie, I'm sure we will see you in two weeks' time. Or hear from you in two weeks' time, because I can't see you for shit. It's just a black screen with a white circle on it. Pleasure's mine. (laughs) I bet. And Jace, (laughs) I'll speak to you next week. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) The pleasure is yours. See you later, boys. Have a good evening. Cheers all. See you later.